Welcome to Broken Potholes. This is your host, Chuck Warren, with my co-host, Sam Stone, who is participating with us from New York. And today, we have Rachel L. She is the founder of Coins for Cops. Rachel, thank you for coming in the studio. Thank you so much for having me. So, Rachel, tell us. You came up with this great idea. Tell us what the mission is of the organization and what sparked your fiery passion for it. How did you get involved? Well, um, I'll start with the mission first. Uh, The mission for Coins for Cops is to basically thank every police officer in the nation for their service. Um, And what it all started from was about a year, year and a half ago now, um, I just saw the the villainization, uh, demonization of police everywhere. Um, And I saw the demoralization of police in my area. I have... um, one police officer friend, um, and I just saw, you know, his demeanor go down. His, it was just really sad to see. And then what I noticed is um, a lot of the police officers that, you know, you would encounter just walking into a, a coffee shop or whatever, they just looked sad. And um, so I started, it all started with going up to them and just saying, hey, thank you. And I would go out of my way to go up and shake their hand and say thank you. And to see their body language change and just a, a smile, well, through a mask, but you can tell when somebody's smiling, when a smile emerged, um, it was amazing. And I said, oh, I got to do more. I got to do more. And so it it slowly progressed into I was going to just start handing out cards myself. And then I was like, well, that's not going to get to enough. Let's make this on a bigger scale. Um, I originally started with coffee cards and then I was like, that does seem so, I just didn't, I didn't like it personally. And so I said, well, what else can I do? And so uh, I came up with challenge coins because I used to be a firefighter. My dad was ex-military. And challenge coins were a very big morale booster. I mean, we, ch- we change them all the time, exchange them all the time. Uh, let me stop you yeah. there. What is a ch- uh, for our audience, what is a challenge coin? Uh, a challenge coin is like, um, it's a morale booster. Basically, uh, it started with the military. And they're a, a large, normally like one and a half to two inch thick coin. Um, and it's something that you can give to your buddies. Um, there was other things where like, if you would go to get drinks, if somebody would slam the the coin down, if you were the last one to put it down, you would have to buy the round. I mean, waters, of course, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, hydrate. It's warm out there, folks. Hydrate. (laughs) But, um, you know, like all military departments have it. And oftentimes different units have it. Firefighters will have it. Different units will have it. Departments. And actually what's interesting, I didn't know this was going to happen. But I, out of the, some of the departments I've given to already, I get their challenge coins. So now it's become this thing where like, ooh, now I want to collect them because they're, it's so much, it's just a little, it's really fun. So Rachel L., for our audience, says, you know, used to be a former school teacher, a science teacher, mm-hmm. a fireman, fire person, sorry, we just <laughs> found out, and now she's a business executive, and you are inspired here to do this. Tell me, let's talk briefly here, I want to talk more about this program, but your friend who's a cop, mm-hmm. how did you see his demeanor change? I mean, is it just, I mean, you know, there was a great quote Sam and I were talking about earlier this morning by Malcolm Glad- Gladwell, mm-hmm. and he was talking on a podcast with Adam Grant that he's for police reform, but the one thing no one ever wants to talk about is being a cop is hard. Yes, he goes, it's it's just he goes, it's amazing yeah. to him that this is simply ignored in the conversation. Yes, we all want to do things. Um, you know, everything can be refined, mm-hmm. right, and things can be better, 
But he just said the fact that we just don't realize this or talk about it makes this conversation nonsensical. You're Which I right. agree. So what did you see? His How did his mood change? What did you see being someone that had this friend who every day goes out, puts his, really puts his life on the line? I know people think that sounds dramatic, but the reality is when you carry a gun for a living, there's a reason you carry a gun. Yeah. Okay? And then all yeah. of a sudden, you've got a bunch of yahoos just saying, you guys are all bad people. Mm-hmm. What, what did you see? What did you see in him? You know, I'm really glad you brought that up. And before I answer that question, if you don't mind if I elaborate, you're, yeah. Please. Okay. Um, so on, you know, what you said about the the danger of the job and, and people don't know, there's actually a beautiful poem on my website that I really encourage everybody to read. It's and, what, and what is that website, by the way? Uh, it's coinsforcops.net, and it's F-O-R, so coinsforcops.net. Oh, you spelled it the right way. Thank I spelled you. it the correct way. No, no number four on that <laughs> stupid thing. All right, go ahead. Um, but it's on the homepage. Scroll down to the bottom, and it's it's there. And, and basically, it encompasses what you just said. Um, it's t- It talks about, you know, I, I entitled I, – I don't know who wrote the poem. I, I kind of um, – but it, it talks about you don't know. You don't know that I didn't like – you know, pulling over your daughter while she was going to college. You didn't know that uh, I had to pull your son out of a ditch after um, a car accident. And, And the list goes on and on. And it's such a beautiful poem. And it really stops and makes you think, you don't understand, or the majority of people don't understand what police officers go through. It's not just eating donuts and coffee as the you know, mainstream media sh- showcases them as. They, they have real, you know, and if we didn't have our police officers, I mean, we can already see what's happening in the, the defunding cities. If we didn't have our police officers, we would just be in chaos. They do so much for well, us. We have we have real life examples right now. Yeah. I mean, this this is not theory anymore. Is that right, Sam? This is not theory. You, no. you, you defund police, you take cops off the streets. We're seeing it. It's not a theory anymore. You're seeing a direct correlation between violent crime, between murders and the and the defunding of police, whether it is in Minnesota or you know New York, Philadelphia, Atlanta, New York. Well, Atlanta. We we probably need to have someone from the Atlanta Constitution Journal on Atlanta's. Example A of just the Perfect number of cops are retiring and leaving and the murder rate there's gone up. But continue. Sorry about that, Rachel. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, and, you know, as a firefighter, I worked I worked with police all the time. And you know what? Police, we, we joke, <laughs> the firefighters and police always like, you know, pick on each other. But in the reality, the police officers were our protection. And they protected us before we they were the, always the ones that went in first if there was a dangerous situation. Um, and, you know, I really held them in a lot of res- respect because of that. So um, on your second question about my friend, you know, at first he tried to play tough. You know, oh, I can handle this. This is okay. The spitting on and the the profanities and all that kind of stuff. It's not going to get to me. And then slowly, or not that slowly, uh, I did see it start to get to him. And he actually did have to take some time off. Um, take a sort of a mental break, a to, sabbatical. A, a mental yeah. break to, re, you know. And, and it was just sad. It was really sad to see. And not only that, but there's departments everywhere um, that they're so overworked because um, for a multitude of reasons, not only defunding, which obviously loses officers, but officers are retiring and quitting uh, at an which alarming is, rate. Which 
by the way, is a result. And no one of wants the, to be a cop, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, and thank you. And well, recruiting is bad too. Why? Why, yeah. why do you want to do a job where you say I'm going to protect people, but no one wants me to? I get I get accosted all the time, yeah. right? I mean, mm-hmm. and these retirements, you know, people can say, for example, mayors can say, well, we haven't defunded anything. Well, the fact that you keep talking about this over and over and over and make them the bad guy, they're not retiring for no reason, right? They're just like, they see sort of the writing on the wall. Do you see that in the city of Phoenix? Yeah, absolutely. And you can do too. They, they can say we're not defunding the police the way Phoenix says we're not defunding the police. But there's a lot of ways to defund the police that aren't directly taking away salary or taking away right. positions. So like here in Phoenix, we simply stop bonding for police. We stop buying them police cars. We stop, you know, rebuilding the stations, the equipment they have to use. And so they're having to cover for that out of their budget, which means fewer officers. And you talked about the strain. It means we have fewer and fewer officers means more overtime means the cops that are out there are under more and more stress. Mm -hmm. And Rachel, I wanted to touch on something. How long were you a firefighter? Um, I was, to be clear, uh, I was a volunteer firefighter. I was trying to go um, career with it, but it was in 2010-ish when things were going down. So it never happened. But for two years, I was there. And I did did everything the paid guys did. You went on the calls and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a a very good friend of mine, really my best friend uh, growing up, who became a firefighter about 15, 20 years ago now. And when he first got started, I don't, I don't know if you've had a similar experience, but he kept calling me very early in the morning when he was on the way home from work and kind of unloading and telling me all these really awful things that he had experienced during his shift. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think people understand how wearing that is. I, I no. realized after a while it was a no. it was a mechanism for him to let go of that before he went home yeah. to his family. Yeah, you were you were his um, visit to the bar basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No, you're but, you're absolutely right uh, on that, it, and it does become wearing. And I mean, what it's the saying: you never call a police officer when you're having a good thing happen, right? They're only called during right. negative times, and so you have people have to understand that, like every call they go to is going to be stressful. And as they're, I'm sure, as they're driving up to a call, they're like. Oh God! How am I going to get treated this time? And you know, um, it, it's just got to be very stressful. Well, I remember talking to a, a gentleman um, two or three years ago here, who was a fireman, and I imagine this story translates to being a law enforcement. And he had done it for twenty years, and then he just he, he retired. And I said, you know, what was the reason? And he just said, well, you know, my back mentioned the back. But he goes, but I just couldn't go do one more kid who drowned in the mm-hmm. pool in the summer. And, you know, I never even thought about that. I don't think most people think about that with a fireman. But I said, how many did you get a summer? He goes, oh, you know, get two or three, you see. He goes, I just, it takes a toll on you emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same thing with law enforcement. Um, even more so, because like I said, they, they are often the first ones in. Um, firefighters are often secondary in after the police have cleared a situation. Um, we're, we're with Rachel L. here for coinsforcops.net. Dot net. Remember that. Don't do dot com. Rachel L., we're about ready to end this one segment. We okay. want to come back. But how many, since you started this, um, how many cops and law enforcement have you met and been able to give a coin to? So far, 270. Wow. But on uh, Tuesday, I'm actually adopting the entire Surprise Arizona 
police department, which is 245. So, and then, yeah, and then by August 5th, I will have delivered to 900. So in the next week, I will be delivering a bunch. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. How long did it take you to arrange that adoption? Go on the website, because she needs some help with this, folks. I definitely need help. Um, It it is cost... um, some the challenge coins, you know, cost the challenge coins. What do the everything. challenge coins cost? Um, so you can go on the website and buy a challenge coin uh, for fifteen dollars. But for every challenge coin you buy, an officer also gets one. Um, and so, um, yeah, we can we can talk. This about is that. broken potholes. We're with Rachel L. and Sam Stone from New York. This is Chuck Warren, and we'll be right back. You know what they say, politics is just show business for ugly people. Well, that's not the case. So get your face on your official .vote campaign web address. Jokes are funny, politics are not. Get your .vote web address from 101domain.com or godaddy.com today. Welcome back to Broken Potholes. I am your host, Chuck Warren, with my co-host, Sam, Sam Stone, Sam, Sam, Sam Stone. <laughs> and today with this is Rachel L., the founder and the passion behind Coins for Cops. You can find them at coinsforcops.net. Don't be cheap. Go buy a coin. Help out here. Um, we were talking earlier about, um, Rachel, how many... Um, cops you have met mm-hmm. how many you've given coins to we've just found out you adopted a big family in surprise arizona the it was at 245 cops yeah. in surprise yeah i would love to get phoenix next hey come on sam get with it she's doing she's doing the heavy lifting sam let's get with it coins for cops um we'll make some intros <laughs> rachel how has the response been from police officers you have met with i'm i'm really glad you asked that um i was so nervous so let me start with when i started calling um, departments um, to tell them what I was doing. I, I'm not going to lie. I got, who are you? Why are you doing this? Sure, sure. That kind of thing. It was very skeptical, which was kind of sad, too. Not on them. It was just sad that the whole environment has been, you know, so downplayed that they couldn't believe somebody was actually just wanting to say thank you. So that was a, kind of the first thing. And then, I mean, some of the stories that I that I have had, I, I was actually so nervous because I was like, oh, a, a little thank you card and a, and a challenge coin. This is nothing, right? And I literally had, I mean, some officers just almost looked like they were going to be in tears. I have actually had a mother of an officer call me in tears, um, happy tears, not <laughs> sad tears, happy tears because they were just blown away people don't realize just a small gesture makes such a big difference and I've actually befriended uh, an officer right now um, that I could never have even imagined and we've had a great friendship because of this Um, and then a really cool story um, I ran into an officer I had given to um, previously uh, just on the street during a little uh, music thing and 
I was like, oh, hey. And he's like, oh, my gosh, you're the coins for cops lady. He's like, hold on right there. And he undid his um, his pocket. And he's like, I keep it with me every single day. Oh, and I was fantastic. like, oh, to... <laughs> yeah, it That's made me wonderful. feel so good. That's wonderful. Yeah, so it really does. I want people to know this really, really does mean something to them. Um, it, it means more than you can, can know. When you're told bad things on a regular basis and then all of a sudden somebody takes the effort to write you a card and give you this coin and deliver it to you uh it's it's really been amazing so i i've been very i've been very fortunate to see how happy the the do you share these stories on your website uh, I should. Uh, I have a gallery yeah, on my yes, website. Yes, you should. You yeah. should. Because those, those are great yeah. stories. Sam, you had a question for her? Yeah, well, I, uh, first, I want to let our audience know, Rachel, is, is her last name is not L. It's something slightly longer. <laughs> but, you know, this current environment is so bad that she has to keep a level of anonymity uh, just to protect herself. And, and that is a really sad statement. But you know when she has it, she has adopted about five hundred cops though now. So I'm feeling pretty good about her safety and welfare. But continue, Sam. <laughs> it's getting better by the minute. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, no, she's getting exactly. safer by the minute. Exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, but as you're going around and talking to these officers, Rachel, yeah, you know, I, I, I want to thank you as someone who works with the city of Phoenix and has seen what's happened to our cops. First, let me just say thank you for what you're doing, and I'm definitely going to introduce you to some folks there that hopefully can get you in there because I think. I think our officers need this, but, you know, I, I guess my question would be beyond just seeing this, what drives you to keep doing this? Cause this is obviously a big commitment of your time. You've got a lot going on. Um, you know, that's not something that is normal. It, it, frankly, I wish it was, but it's not. And you have made a big commitment to this. And what is it personally that's really driving you to do this? I think that's just a, a level of, of, humanity it's just it's your fellow person you know like cops are people they they i think when people put uniforms on um and give titles to things they they kind of dehumanize them it takes the humanity out of them and and they're just regular men and women that is such an amazing um insight i mean we see with olympic athletes as all the couch potatoes say well i could have done this or Mm -hmm. professional athletes (laughs) like they're not human right they don't have feelings and i my question for you is, what was the moment you just said, I'm doing this? Were you in the shower, singing a song? Were you walking the dog? What, I mean, what, what's the moment you just say, you know what? This is a great idea. I'm going to do this. I was at a gas station, actually. And two, uh, two police officers came in to, I'm sure, go get a drink or something. And the looks on their faces was horrible and this was at the the height of like Mm. the and and i couldn't get to them the distance was too much before they went into the store and i was like oh i have a missed opportunity i should have done more i should have done more and then it just blossomed and um yeah so well you always uh, you know i've I've noticed in my life as i've gotten older that i drive by certain spots remember when i had an epiphany on something Mm -hmm. will you always remember that spot at that gas station saying this is where i came up with this idea yeah and then um you know i I have a wonderful coworker that lets me uh bounce ideas off of her so i just started bouncing them off and and then i came up with the challenge coin and it it was that was it and then i literally that night went and designed it found a, a coin uh, manufacturer and it and that was it do you have like a twitter or facebook handle as well i do have a facebook um not on twitter 
It's okay. It's just vitriol. You don't need to be on Twitter. But good, anyway, Facebook, good for your sanity. Yeah, good for your soul. What about Facebook? Where, do you, where, yeah. where can they find you on Facebook? Uh, same, same thing. Coins for Cops. At Coins for Cops on Facebook as well. What do you want people Fantastic. to know? What do you want our audience to know about this program? Um, this is a positive program. Everything about this is just positive. On my website, um, on the news section of my website, it's all um, stories of, of um, heroism. Everything is, is, you know, showing the positive side of police officers, which are many and many and many. I mean, and, and so everything is positive. Everything's putting things in, in perspective. Um, I do have a facts page on the website as well. I want people to be informed with the facts. So um, and then um, I want this to be a community thing, too. So uh, not only do you you can buy coins for yourself or for or whoever you want but you can also just donate and then i happen to choose the um department at the time or the other um way you can do it is you can actually call me and i've actually had this happen (laughs) we're working on a big one in las vegas right now because las vegas has 3200 officers which is a huge i think they're like ninth or tenth in the nation and so when the lady first said hey i want to adopt the las vegas department and i called back and i was like well we might have to start a campaign and this is another way of like getting your community involved too because if you really want to adopt your department then i can have you you guys can call me or email me and and so you want to do this and then i can help you through the process of how you can do it in your community to raise some funds to adopt and it feels so good with you can have community members go in well, that's fantastic. Sam, we have one minute left here. Do you have a final comment for our guest before she departs us for the day? I, I really just want to thank her. And I, I want to tell everyone to go to that website at coinsforcops.net, you know, make make that donation or make the purchase and get, you know, get yourself a coin and give a cop a coin. Because with what I've seen, and I deal with our, our police officers in person every single day in Phoenix, what they've gone through in the last year and a half is just incredible. It's incredibly draining. And it is desperately needed this kind of thing is desperately needed. so folks don't be cheap get on buy a coin we want to thank rachel l she is here the founder the visionary for coinsforcops.net show if you see a police officer today thank him for their hard work because it's really a crappy job <laughs> this is chuck warren sam stone with the famous rachel l broken potholes <laughs> we'll be back The 2020 election is over. Now it's time for you to get ready to run for 2022. First step, getting your .vote campaign web address with your first and last name. Say your name is Janet Jones. A web address like www.janetjones.vote is the perfect way to get voters to remember your name all the while reminding them to vote. Visit GoDaddy today to kick off your 2022 campaign right. Welcome to Broken Potholes. I am Chuck Warren with my co-host Sam Stone, and today we have with us Republican nominee for U.S. Senate, Blake Masters, who is touring our state. Blake, by the way, how do you like driving around all over Arizona? Hey, so far so good. I'm uh, logging lots of miles on the car. I was just up in Yavapai County, uh, Prescott and Prescott Valley, and uh, just absolutely beautiful up there, of course. Great people. Um, they were, they so were, far, I'm having a blast. Oh, that's great. It is, it is wonderful to meet people who have an optimism about the future, isn't it? Who want to get things done and they're involved. 
absolutely. People are really activated. I think we're on track to have a great 2022. So today it was reported that there's billions of rental aid that the federal government's appropriated that's remained unspent and evictions are poised to resume. Um, in this article, they talked about there's $46 billion that the government, federal government's allocated to the states and cities, and the money's not getting out to people to help them with the rent. That's the whole purpose of it, which, you know, it's just not the renters. This is also for the landlords that have mortgages, which then affects banking. It's a really horrible trickle effect. Blake, is government ever going to get it right? Well, that is the, uh, I I guess that's the $28 trillion question or whatever (laughs) our national debt is right now. Right. Seem to be past 30, no doubt. Um, I don't know. You know, it's frustrating, too. Obviously, the government has become just so uh, incompetent, right? It's become a meme for decades now on on the right. Um, You know, Reagan said, what was the line, right? Uh, I'm I, if you ever hear I'm from the government and I'm here to help, you know, run for your life <laughs> or something like this. It, yeah. And that's it's yeah. funny, but it's also it's also sad. And I don't want to see conservatives just um, be fatalistic about it and just conclude, you know, because government is incompetent, because we know it doesn't work as well as a private business, that it can never do anything at all. And therefore it can't exist. I mean, government does have a role to play. And where it has a role to play, it should be really good. It should be efficient. And we need to remember, you know, 60, 70 years ago, when serious people were in charge, before the bureaucracy had been built up, government could actually get things done. You know, like we did the Apollo project. We did the Manhattan project. We used to be able to get stuff done. Now we can't. And it's kind of interesting to think about why. Well, and in this whole thing too, Blake and and Chuck, there's a level of personal irresponsibility that's coming into play. There was, you spoke of memes. There was a great meme I saw this morning with a series of of larger and larger dominoes. The first domino was bought PS5 instead of paying rent, leading to end of moratorium, got evicted, then, you know, slowly getting to the point where it takes down the whole economy. And we are facing a a really significant economic crisis because of this and potentially an individual crisis. And in government didn't have to do any of this. I mean, why have an eviction moratorium? We had monies we were handing people. We did that effectively, right? Through the uh, the the uh, PPP assistance and all that. Why didn't we just increase that amount a little bit more and leave this entire rental issue aside? Right. I mean, well said. It's a, it's a, it's a huge mess. And, you know, it, it kind of points back to this huge problem where no one wants to take responsibility anymore. And this is, you know, this is not something you can fix with one piece of legislation, but I do think it's a cultural problem. There's the personal responsibility uh, level where people, you know, it's, it's, it just feels retrograde to say, no, you actually are in charge of your life and you're not a victim, even if you've been dealt a, a bad hand, or even if you're literally a victim in some sense, like you can't think that way because you will just, you know, expect things to be done for you. Um, because things are being done to you. It's just passive, right? And I think that's a bad cultural shift. Then people in government, you know, and as the civil service and the bureaucracy swells, no one uh, in government, no politicians seem to actually want to take responsibility. And I think this is one of the biggest things that we've seen, certainly my generation, millennials. Uh, this is this is a horrible shift towards this lack of agency, and I think, you know, people in the past, individuals, business leaders, community leaders, but also politicians and actual you know, government leaders, they just felt like they were in charge. 
you know, there were some privileges that came with that power. There was also a sense of responsibility. And I think we've just totally uh, lost that or at least it's vanishingly rare today. That's a fantastic point, Blank. We're about ready to go here for a quick commercial break. But um, when we come back, I want to talk about um, something you tweeted today and something I'm quite aware of about there is a push now to allow non-citizens to vote. Um, This is something Sam and I worked on two years ago and passed some initiatives, and Washington Post, New York Times reporters told us we were crazy to think that this would even be pushed in America. And I think now you have an editorial <laughs> from the New York Times saying there's no good reason why uh, – there's no good reason you should have to be a citizen to vote. Um, this is insane, and I just think this shows really a cultural divide in our country. And so we're with Blake Masters, U.S. Senate candidate in Arizona, Republican, and we'll be right back. This is Broken Potholes. Now more than ever before, we are relying on the internet to keep up with the news, stay in touch with friends, shop, and everything in between. That's why it's so important that you reserve your first and last name .vote web address for your upcoming campaign. Secure your digital real estate by owning your name with a .vote. Your name, your campaign, your very own .vote domain. Head to GoDaddy today. Welcome back to Broken Potholes. I am your host, Chuck Warren, with my co-host, Sam Stone. Today, we are honored to have with us Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in Arizona, Blake Masters. You can find him at BlakeMasters.com, also on Twitter and Facebook. We were talking before the break, Blake. Um, A couple years ago, a good friend of of Sam and I, Tim Mooney, started this initiative, which passed in Florida and I forget the Alabama, a couple other states, where it would prevent non-citizens from voting in elections. We saw, I saw something three years ago, which I emailed him and um, said that they're trying to allow him to vote in school election boards and so forth in San Francisco and some Northeast cities. And so when we pushed this in Florida, they claimed it was some right-wing conspiracy. I remember Tim being badgered by the New York Times, the Washington Post, and others saying, you're just making this up. No one's pushing this. Well, now this is a thing, right? Um, So I don't know if they were in on it or what, but what are your thoughts about allowing non-citizens to be voters. It just seems does not seem to pass the common sense um, test. It, it really doesn't, but this is how it works, right? They put it out here, uh, and we all get to sort of laugh at it because it really is crazy, this idea that non-citizens ought to be able to vote in our elections. But they'll try to normalize it. This is my prediction here. Um, and I'm not really going out on a limb. What we'll do is we'll see in coming weeks, in coming months, this conversation, this idea, this crazy idea will be normalized. We'll see it more and more. And my guess is in two or three years, this is where the center of the Democratic Party will be on this issue. Hey, there's many stakeholders in society. Citizens are only one of them. You know, who are you to deny uh, voting rights? Voting rights, Chuck, to you know, this visa holder well, or this tourist who stay, overstayed their visa. This is how they think. There's no real coherent concept of citizenship. It means very little to the left. 
and unfortunately, I think this is I, this crazy idea is going to get normalized. Well, and what they do is they simply do feed the people we all 20 years ago or 10 years ago said they were nuts that, you know, there's this one world order and so forth. And when they do these things like this, it makes people believe that. I remember talking to a Washington Post reporter about this issue, and she was just really hammering, well, you know, look, they work in the community, they pay local taxes and things. And I said, well, based on that nature then, and I used Florida's example, there's 300,000 people that have second homes in Florida. So based on that nature, since they pay property tax and add value to the community, they should be able to vote in school board and in city council races, right? Because it affects their ownership, right? If you're based on that. She could not get around that. She could not even answer that. She just thought, well, that's just snobby. Well, no, you're just telling me you should be able to vote because you have an economic impact. That was their whole that was their whole line. And then you bring this up. Oh, well, and, then and based on that, if I have a business here, so let's go and say, Blake, all these venture capital companies you've done and they have offices, well, then the ownership should be able to vote on city elections where they have brick and mortar, right? Because it affects them based on that logic. Based on that logic, I ought to be able to vote in Nigerian elections because I make money. I contribute to uh, world GDP. Nigeria is part of the world, and therefore I have a stake. You know, I mean, it's and it, and you it, can, it and really you, is funny. I got a smile on my face, but my gosh, this is what they think. No, and, 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 uh, like, and they were serious exactly about it. Exactly right. They're they're going to normalize this, and and you mentioned school boards, Chuck. That's where they're going to start. Yes, yes. They're I mean, going to start with this on school boards and local elections and normalize it there and then try to move it up the ladder. It's unbelievable. Blake, as you have toured the state, we're with Blake Masters, Republican candidate for Senate. You can find him at blakemasters.com. Also follow him on Twitter and Facebook. He's quite proficient on Twitter. And um, Blake, as you've traveled the state, um, what has surprised you uh, about issues that are really concerning people or, or have you not been surprised? Well, I haven't been surprised at many of the issues um, which are, would, you know, have people really upset, like critical race theory in schools. Everybody is up in arms about that in these rooms that I'm in. They want to talk about that. They want to talk about big tech censorship of conservatives. That's all great. Those are super important. Um, what surprises me, though, is still how much people uh, just care about the bread and butter issues. And everybody talks about gas prices. Everybody. You know, whether they're relatively affluent, they're still really annoyed. Maybe they manage a, a business that has a fleet of trucks, right? This impacts the bottom line. Um, or if, you know, just their household budget is, is really kind of uh, in a precarious spot, you know, when the price of gas goes up 25 or 30 percent. People want to talk about that. People want to talk about inflation. They'll talk to restaurant owners that can't find uh, workers, you know, line cooks and hostesses and they're trying to pay them 13 14 15 bucks an hour and people still uh you know maybe they're making more in unemployment benefits or something like that it's it's these economic issues these kitchen table bread and butter issues that uh that ultimately i think are, are gonna drive republicans out to vote in 2022 well if you live in rural arizona which you've been traveling a lot based on this time of year um you know when your gas prices go up a dollar plus that's a real issue right um you know, these aren't affects, a lot of these... affects rural, yeah. where, you know, people way more than people in the cities. And of course, the the opinion making apparatus, the journalist class, they all live in cities and they and work so from, and they work from home. And by the way, they, they work, work from, from home. home. I mean, you know, you talk to reporters, they haven't been in the office for a year plus. So, you know, they you know, they they're, they're like in the cheap seats on these issues, um, whereas right. other people have to go out and work. And if you know, if you're a, if you're a contractor and you repair air conditioning systems, 
that price matters a lot, right? And then at the same time, you really don't want to raise your prices because your competitor is not raising them. It's it's a vicious cycle for those who um, don't have the benefit of being a reporter and just staying at home in front of a laptop and making calls all day. Yeah, absolutely, it is. But you know, it's, it's I think it's a combination of, of cultural issues. I think the Democrats are just moving way too far and going to crazy places. Like, hey, non-citizens ought to be able to vote, but also just the economics aren't working. Um, and that's why we need economic policies that help working class and middle class Americans. And uh, until people find a political party that's willing to deliver exactly that, you know, I think people will still be really jaded. Blake, what is um, what certainly are, not support the Biden administration? Blake, what are some economic policies that if if you're in the Senate and you could pass it, what are some what are some tax or economic policies you think that just need to be done immediately? There's defense and offense. So, you know, when I'm in, uh, elected in 2022, I'll be in the Senate in 2023. You know, we're still going to have a Democratic president then. And I think the Biden-Harris regime will still try to push their crazy uh, tax hikes. So sort of step one is to play defense. I think Republicans are OK at playing defense. We're not so good at going on offense, though. And in terms of affirmative economic policies we ought to pass, I care a lot about onshoring, onsh- bringing back to America the industrial base, the manufacturing capacity that over the last few decades we sort of pushed abroad, mostly to Southeast Asia. One thing that I'm really excited about that I want to do a lot more of, um, you know, TSMC and Intel, they're bringing uh, semiconductor plants back to Arizona. I think that's extremely good. There's sort of a national security problem with manufacturing all these computer chips in Taiwan in Southeast Asia. We ought to be able to do that here at home just so that we can, you know, be independent and not be reliant on China but it's also good. It's high paying manufacturing jobs that we can bring back. And if you imagine the infrastructure that we're going to build around these multi-billion dollar plants up in Phoenix, that itself is going to be a huge economic boon and, uh, and a huge growth opportunity. So I'd, I'd look for, for ways to get more industries uh, back in America, get more people actually making stuff with their brains, but also with their hands. And uh, I think good things happen when we adopt that kind of attitude. Uh, towards economic policy, not just, hey, where can we make stuff the cheapest and we'll deal with the consequences years down the road. Do we do that with um, not only a change of tax policy for manufacturing? Do we do it with um, job training for specific trades? Um, you know, We've talked time and again. I mean, all of us here are college graduates, but we would all agree that a college education is not needed for a lot of professions out there now, right? And, um, you know, two-thirds of the Americans do not finish college if they even start it. What would be your policy regarding trade, um, your training for, you know, various manufacturing jobs, trades, piping, things of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. We should should be investing in that. And there's maybe a split here in the Republican Party. You know, some people don't, uh, you know, don't subsidize other people. But no, we 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 shouldn't have that attitude. It should absolutely be free or low cost for a young person, maybe of college age, to go and learn the trades, to go and learn to weld. Right. Maybe we we subsidize some apprentice programs, uh, things of this nature. We got to be thinking a lot more in that direction instead of pretending you need to funnel everybody through this you know, four year uh, bachelor's degree system where they come out with no skills and actually maybe just indoctrinated. That makes no it, sense at all. We pour a lot of resources into that kind of education. You know, Blake and, and Chuck, one of the things that I, I learned working in Oklahoma a few years ago, which obviously is kind of the center of the oil industry, the pipeline industry, you have a lot of shipping and manufacturing 
Oklahoma has invested a lot of resources in a, in a very extensive series of technical training centers in a whole variety of areas from welding to pipe fitting and everything in between uh, to tech, technical manufacturing, all that kind of thing. You want to look at a state with one of the consistent lowest unemployment rates in the country. It's right there. Absolutely. Yeah, we have these experiments that work really well. I don't know why there's not more political will to uh, to learn from them and implement them other places. Well, we just so we've sold we have sold the lie that you need a college degree to have a successful career. And look, I want right. people to I want people to obtain as much education as possible. Uh, but that doesn't mean you need to go to a a public or private university to do that, right? And maybe if we go and start pushing more this type of training, um, this alternative, um, maybe we'll see college prices start leveling out and maybe decreasing. Because right now, it's basically a scam in a lot of ways how much tuition increases and how much they spend on things. It is. And if you look at, like, software engineering, right? Like, who pays to educate Facebook and Google's employees? Well, often these kids are going to say UC Cal, you know, Berkeley. Well, the taxpayers are paying for their computer science education and Facebook and Google who, you know, (laughs) could afford to pay for it themselves. They get a free ride. But it's like who pays for the education for like uh, an HVAC, you know, contractors company, his employees or a welder or a plumber, electrician, the trades. Those companies actually have to pay for that. Right. You have to take on someone and the employees are inefficient while they learn the ropes. So why can't we even it out a little bit? Well, I've said for years we ought to make colleges and universities be the ones that secure their loans. And then you're going to look real hard at return on investment if you're those universities. I mean, you're not going to charge 300 grand for an English degree. Well, that's a great point. You can almost use the ROTC model. You know, Facebook, if you want an engineer and someone, you know, after their first year or so, you find out they have the capacity to do it, you pay for it. Right now, for that in return, they have to work for you for four years so they can go do something else. But maybe we need to start having some of these industries sort of take the ROTC model. We're going to help pay for your undergrad or whatever the case may be. In return, you've you're committing X years. I mean, that's your investment in us. We're investing in you. And maybe that is something we need to push more. Yeah, both those examples are good. And I definitely agree with putting colleges on the hook for the debt that their uh, that their students take out. You know, in the United States, I think thanks to Joe Biden, student debt is non-dischargeable in bankruptcy. Like You cannot get rid of it. It no. will follow you. And so if you are unwise, and look, we ask 18 and 19-year-olds to make these decisions. You know, like, we we won't let them you know do plenty of stuff until they're 21 but at 18 or 19 apparently you're allowed to go and get into two hundred thousand dollars in debt you, um, you can't even get a house federal, federal most, subsidized right. most of these seniors can't even get a house they can't apply for a mortgage but we're saying here goes we're going to sign you up you're going to commit to two or three hundred thousand dollars at 18 and you can't discharge it and so i think you know if 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 that happens um no you ought to be able to to send the college the bill you know when the kid defaults and can't pay it and Sam, you're so right. Those colleges would immediately start reforming their uh, predatory student loan practices. We're with Blake Masters. We have one minute with here. You can find Blake at blakemasters.com. He's running for U.S. Senate as a Republican candidate. Blake, is there anything you want, message you want to leave with our audience before we end here? Well, uh, gosh, we could go in any number of <laughs> directions. You know, I'm, um, I mean, just just reading the CDC sort of, you know, the news about the CDC this morning, right, which apparently they based this new mask mandate and the sort of new, right. I think we're going to see a push to lock things down again on 
won't say fake science exactly, but on on very problematic science, right? On on a on a paper from India that didn't even pass peer review. Right. That seems to be the case, and it's just sad. It really is sad. Um, you know, the CDC has a long record of getting things wrong, but I really think people deserve to like live in a country where okay, you don't blindly trust the government, but you have some sort of faith exactly. in the integrity of our institutions. And unfortunately, we just don't have it. So, you know, I'll try to figure out every which way to to reverse course and make uh, make the government actually work again. Well, thank you. You, you actually had Slate, uh, an op-ed in Slate yesterday that, that praised Fauci and the CDC for lying because it benefited well, th- Blake, oh, thanks such for such dangerous logic. The it's greater good. Horrible yeah. logic. Blake, thanks a million for joining us today. This is Broken Potholes. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll be back with you soon. Thanks. Running for office? You need a campaign website. Introducing the web address of the democratic process, .vote. So how do you purchase your .vote website? Visit www.yourname.vote. Type your website name, example www.johnsmith.vote. It's available. Add your web address to your cart and check out. Once checked out and have received confirmation, you may begin to create and utilize your website to connect and engage voters. To learn more, visit get.vote. Happy campaigning.